0: Hey, this is Dan Cogan. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Family in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today and let you know you matter to us because you matter to God. Enjoy the message. Take your Bibles, would you? This morning, normally I preach through a book of the Bible verse by verse, but this morning we're going to look at maybe two or three passages very quickly and try to knit together a theme from, from the Gospels that I'm, I'm really passionate about. So we're going to begin this morning with a familiar story. They're all familiar to you. But in Luke's gospel, in the 21st chapter, something called the widow's might, the widow's gift. So Luke 21, and we'll begin reading with the first verse. This is Jesus. Well, he looked up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping her two tiny coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, the widow has put more in than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Eternal God, our loving Father, we're so delighted to be in you this morning. We're grateful there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We're grateful, Father, all who plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Thank you that you were not in the least bit stingy with us. You gave your best you gave your all and you continue to. So, Lord, as we gather this morning, having come off of Thanksgiving and all those things and thinking about all we've been blessed with, turn our hearts and our minds to you and open our ears and our eyes and, and most of all, Lord, melt our hearts that can be some, become so hardened to your truth, so distracted by the things of this world. In other words, Lord, just cause us to go hard after you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, context context is everything in the Scripture. Believe me, it's everything. (laughs) That's how you get all these weird preachers preaching all this prosperity gospel and stuff. They pull out a verse here and a verse there without any sense of context. It's really important to have context. So let's look at context. I mean, this is a good story in and of itself. But this isn't an isolated, one-time story. This is happening. This thing with the, with, with the, the, the widow is happening in, in a series of stories. You know, and I've told you many times, Luke did not put the chapters and the verse numbers on there. Those came much later. And those are just to help us find our place in the, in the text. Something happens in chapter 20, verse 45. So listen to this. If you still have your Bibles open, and if you don't, open them again. Luke 20, 45. This is what happens right before the story of the widow's mite. While all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, "Now you've got to beware of the scribes. What's he mean by that? These people dressed in the very best religious garment, memorizing Scripture, uh, praying beautiful prayers in public, proud of the fact that legalists, that's what you got to be aware of, legalists, modern-day legalists, so proud of everything they don't do, all right, and that they're better than you. Jesus says, you've got to be aware of the scribes who go around in long robes, who love greetings in marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogue, the places of honor at banquets. On the outside, they look like they're very religious and very righteous and they're better than most people in the world, and they make great greetings to one another in the marketplace, and they make sure they sit in a place in the synagogue where everybody sees them, and they say all the right prayers, they do all the right things, and from the outward appearance, they look like very religious people, and if anybody should be close to God, it would be these scribes, and and the, the people Jesus is talking to, they've seen these, they, they know what these scribes are, they see them all over the place, and as a matter of fact, it's Quite likely, if you had a son, you would hope he would grow up to be something like that, to make something of himself. Or if you had a daughter, that perhaps she would marry someone who was a well-respected religious leader in some fashion. But Jesus says this, (laughs) they go around in long robes and love to give greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogue and... Always get the places of honor at banquets. However, they devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgments. You see, there was a lot in the scripture about taking care of widows. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a gray area, all right? If these these religious men in in Judaism were truly religious, then there's a tremendous amount in the Old Testament, the tremendous amount of Scripture about the importance of caring for widows. And yet, there were widows all over the place who were losing their homes, who were losing everything. Men were taking advantage of these widows. Their their husbands were gone, and their their welfare was up to someone else, and, and I don't have time to go into it today because there's a snowstorm coming, but take my word for it. There was a way in which these wealthy men were taking advantage of widows, all the while pretending and showing off to be very religious people who could say great prayers and do great. Listen, I don't want to. I don't have to spend a lot of time with this today. You can walk around acting like you know God. You can walk around like you're a great Baptist. You're a great church member. You don't cuss. You don't drink in front of other Baptists. You don't smoke. That was a joke, by the way. You don't smoke in front of other Baptists. Whatever. I'm, I'm being sort of facetious. But if you're not generous, if you're not generous, Jesus said, these, these guys are going to receive a harsher judgment. Now, before we get to the widow, I'm going to take you another passage of Scripture. It's probably just going to… Oh, you're just going to have to buckle up because it could get a little, a little bumpy here. Matthew 25. Again… You know this text. Now, remember what I just said about the, the, the religious men of the day who went around showing off and making big prayers and showing up at church and doing all the things, but they they didn't just ignore the widows. They actually took advantage of them, right, which is completely, completely opposite. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. I got to tell you, man, I wish I had all day. Other times you just feel like this world is just just a mess. It's so, people are just so disrespectful of the truth and of the gospel and Christianity. I could, I could go on all day. And they are. And I got news for you. It's going to get worse every day we live. Your children and grandchildren are going to have a much harder time being Christians than we did and certainly than our parents did. It's going to get worse every day. But I got. I also have news for you. This day is coming right here. There'll be a day when the eastern sky is going to open up and he's coming back. And he's not coming back as a babe in a manger, right? He's coming back as a victorious king. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And nobody's going to wonder whether or not this is really true. So what happens here is all the nations will gather before him. And he will separate them, one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There is a day coming. You turn on CNN and the news, and, and you think, you know, we're the, we're the bigoted ones, we're the outcast ones, and all that. I'm going to tell you what, there's a day coming. There's a day coming, certain coming, when the, the ruler of the universe who made it abundantly clear the wages of sin is death, is going to come. And all the period of grace that we've had for all these generations will come to an end. And there'll be a judgment. And you're either redeemed or you're not. And there's going to be a separation. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. There's nothing in between but then, the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world." I could preach that all morning. I just—that's another glorious thing. When you die, you're not gonna—you're not gonna—wings aren't gonna grow out of your body, and you're not gonna fly to heaven and play a harp and sit on a cloud for eternity. You're going to rule and reign with God in something He has prepared before the foundation of the world. I don't know what it means. We don't know what it means. Paul says, we see through a glass dimly, but one day we'll know all. But it's going to be glorious and wonderful and unimaginable. That's our inheritance. Your inheritance is not your 401K. Your inheritance is not your house and your car. Your inheritance is not even your children. Your inheritance, if you're a child of God, was prepared before this world was ever created. And it is a certainty, all right? For I was hungry, Jesus, the, the, Jesus says, and you gave me something to eat, verse 35. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. When, when he's separating the sheep from the goats, he's saying, you who are sheep, you who are redeemed, you come because when I was sick, when I was in prison, when I was in need, you took care of me. Well, the righteous will answer and say, well, wait a minute, Lord. (laughs) When did we see you sick, a stranger, without clothes, clothe you, prison and visit you? Verse 40, and the king will answer and say, truly I say to you, whoever did this, the least of these, now this is the important verse, important word, listen, what's he say? The least of these, this is often left out. (laughs) My brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. My brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Look, is, is, there, a, is there a reason? <laughs> That's all right. Is there, is there a, a reason? He says brothers and sisters of mine. Oftentimes, people take this text and say, and use it as we should. Now, listen to what I'm not saying. Obviously, we as believers, as Christians, need to be generous, and we need to help the poor and help the needy. And listen, I, I wish, again, I had all morning to tell you how listen, when there's a hurricane or a flood or a disaster, tens of thousands of Christians, Southern Baptists, were the third largest disaster relief agency in the world. The second largest is Salvation Army. When, when, when that happens, it is tens of thousands of Christians who mobilize and run toward the need and spend days, weeks, sometimes months cleaning up homes and helping people recover. I mean, we could go on and on. Samaritan's Purse, how many children are helped by that? Feed the children, how many people are helped? How many Christians do so much good in this world? And people always say, well, it's all about, you know, it's religion causes all the wars in the world. There aren't very many atheists who mobilize and spend months and months cleaning up after disasters. I'm just saying. Not in the way that Christians do. Nearly every hospital in North America was started by a Christian agency. Nearly every college in North America was started by a Christian agency at one time. And medications that made it all around the globe to to alleviate sickness and disease all around the world were taken by many Christian missionaries. So obviously we have a, a, we have a a need, a, a desire, a love for all people everywhere. However, what this text does not Say is this. It does not say that if you simply do good work and feed people and clothe people, I mean, you could be a Rotarian or a Lions Club member and make it to heaven if you just took it from that. Long as we're taking care of people, we're going to make it in. If we're not taking care of people, we're not. It's not exactly what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's saying. Listen carefully to me. If you've done it to the least of these my brothers and sisters. In other words, we're, Especially in that first century, if you got, if, 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 for example, if you got taken to prison as a Christian, if, if Christians went to visit another Christian in prison, it's likely you would be, if you weren't kept there and said, well, you're one too, you would be tagged and followed and identified. Think about it like in China and in, in, in other countries where Christianity, where there's a death sentence on Christians. What if someone who has a death sentence as a Christian, are you going to go visit that person in a jail and perhaps risk you becoming known as a Christian? If that person has a need, are you going to help them? And, and what Jesus is saying is this, look, if, if you wouldn't help your own brothers and sisters in Christ, if you wouldn't help your own brothers and sisters in the church when they had a need, you're not, there's no evidence that you're truly converted, because if you're, if you're a brother and sister, you're going to help your family members. And you didn't help your family members. That's what that text is saying. So we had lots of people who were saying, I'm a believer, but they never engaged in helping other believers. They never cared for anybody. They only cared, listen, they only cared for themselves. And the text goes on. And then he said to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. I don't know how else to read that other than to read it the way it says. I realize it's not popular to talk about hell. We always want to think, well, how could a loving God do that? I'll tell you what, he's God and you're not. Right? Why don't you try speaking the universe into being and holding every star in power by, in place by your mighty power and know every hair of every human who has ever lived, know how many there were on their heads and know when any bird chirps in the Amazon. He's God, all right? He has a reason. And The real issue is the wages of sin is death. The question isn't how could God send anybody to hell? The question is how could he not send everybody to hell, to be frank about it. But at any rate... Depart from me, you who are cursed, for the eternal fire prepared for the devil as angels. For I was hungry, you gave... He does the opposite. I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. Thirsty, you give me drink. Strange, you didn't take me in prison. When did we do that? Well, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Here, here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying to simply give stuff to the poor will get you into heaven. He's not saying not giving stuff to the poor will send you to hell. He's not saying that because on the totality of Scripture... From Genesis to the map in the back, it's abundantly clear that our works do not save us. But it's also abundantly clear that our works, our, works, our life, are, they, they, they are an example of what's in us. And so when Jesus said, you, you gave me drinks, you took care of me, you visited me when I was sick, you visited me in prison, when did we do that? When you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters. When you did it to those in, in the church. When you cared for one another as Christian brothers and sisters, sacrificially, especially in the first century, because it was at great risk to your own life to do that. Do you realize now we have so many people who come to church not looking to give to other people in the church, but to take, to be consumers? And we look at a church for what it can offer us, what it can give us. Do we like this? Do we like that? Do we like the music? Do we like the building? Do we like the coffee? Do we like the children's ministry? Do we like all of these things? We become consumers. And Jesus is making it clear here that if you're truly my follower, if you're really truly my follower, you're going to love the family. You're going to love the brothers and sisters. You're going to hurt when people hurt. You're going to visit one another as Christians in this community of faith that we're in as brothers and sisters. You're going to visit each other in the hospital. You're going to bring food to one another. If someone has a financial need, you're going to meet it. If someone's in prison, you're going to go see them. And believe me, when he was talking about prison here, they understood that being a Christian would send you to prison. And it would be easy to ignore them and not go see them. On the other hand, those who said, well, we, we followed you, and Jesus said, you did? I, I didn't see you do any of this. You were caught up in your own world. There is, there, is in my, there is some similarity between these two stories where Jesus says, you act one way in public, but your life shows something very, very, very different. Now, Clearly, as I said... If we follow Jesus, we're going to love all people, even those who aren't Christians, right? We're going to help everybody, even those who aren't Christians. Believe me, if you do the Samaritan's Purse shoeboxes, the majority of those little children are not your brothers and sisters in Christ yet, but we still love them and care for them. When we, when we give out food to the homeless, it's the same thing. But Jesus is talking here specifically that if you're truly a child of God, you're going to care for one another in the church. You're going to be generous to your church. If you're not generous to your church... You... So we go back over to the other text of what he just talked about. He's talking about, and this is in Luke 21, where he's talking about how the rich dropped their coins in the offering temple. Now, they made these, they made these you've heard this before, they made these things shaped like trumpets so that when you put the coin in, every... I'm not going to ask you who's been to the riverboat, sorry, I'm not going to ask you. But if you've ever been to the riverboat, <laughs> you ever been to a casino? I mean, it's just like it's like people are winning everywhere because it's all that they make those receptacles in the slot machines so loud that when the coins fall, it was very similar to that in the temple, so that people could tell how much you were putting in. They could hear it. It, it was shaped like a trumpet. So you could hear if someone put two or three or put a whole bunch. I mean it was it was on purpose. So people would listen and these these. Scribes and Pharisees would put these loud coins in there. But he said, beware of them, for they are devouring the widows. Verse ch- 1 of chapter 21, he then looked up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings to the temple treasury. But he also saw a poor widow dropping two tiny coins, or widow's mites, as they're called, Now, don't lose sight of this. Look at what he says in verse 3. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow, first of all, she shouldn't, listen, she shouldn't have been poor because there were plenty of scribes and Pharisees to take care of her. That's, that's, that's That's the example Jesus is putting forth. If these scribes and Pharisees were truly men of godly religion, There was plenty of information in the scripture for them to take care. There shouldn't be desperately poor Hebrew widows. And that's similar to what Jesus is saying when when he's giving the the forewarning of separating the sheep from the goats. You know, if, if you didn't take care of your own, if you didn't care for your own brothers and sisters in Christ, for goodness sakes, if that wasn't even the low bar, if you didn't even care for your own Christian family, my own brothers and sisters, Jesus calls them then there's, no, there's, there's nothing in you that's truly real. For all these people, verse 4, have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in, now don't lose sight of this, underline it, mark it, learn it. She has put in all she had to live on. Two mites was about enough to provide a love food for a person for a day. That was about what it was. She probably was a beggar. Again, you've got these Pharisees and these scribes walking past these widow beggars and going in the temple and dropping all this money in there. When you get all these, and yet they're supposed to take. But who's going to really award them for helping these poor widows? Nobody's going to really see that. Nobody's going to know that. But if they go in and drop this money in this big temple trumpet kind of thing, and everybody's going to know how much they've given, then they're going to be self-righteous again. So here this woman gives all that she... Jesus said it's all she had to live on. She didn't have two... Listen, she didn't have two mites in this purse and two mites back at home. When she gave her two mites, she wasn't going to eat that day unless she was able to beg another two mites. And that might not happen. When Jesus wants wants to give the whole world for all eternity an example of generosity, he chooses a nameless widow who's got barely enough to eat for that day. This story moves from condemnation of the Pharisees and scribes to looking at the widow and commending her, a commendation for her generosity, giving to the Lord. She was truly giving to Him, not out of her surplus, but out of her need, all that she had. I know how we are. I know how I am. We go, I wonder how much I can afford to give. That is the wrong question to ask. You're talking Lottie Moon and, and all that money that goes to serve missionaries around the world. You're talking your own local church. And we talk about tithing and 10%. And certainly, Scripture talks about that. But, but it was never that the tithe, and you could talk about whether, well, is that an Old Testament practice or a New Testament practice? Well, in the New Testament, you know what the Christians did. They gave a lot more than a tithe. <laughs> they basically, some of them gave it all. Most, a lot of them gave half. I mean, because they, they realize in every sense of the word that, that, that purpose and meaning and joy and sustenance was never going to be found in the things in this life, but rather in generosity. God loves a cheerful giver. Again, we don't, we don't give to God because he needs the money. He doesn't need the money. He already has it. We give to him out of out of out of a sense of, of joy and out of a sense of, 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 of absolute, complete love and affection for someone who's given so very much to us. Folks, it's just so simple. You are redeemed. Your sin was taken away. You stand before holy God as righteous and as glorious and as loved as his own son, not because of anything you did, but because of the generosity of the Father to give you the Son. And those who've been dealt generously with should be the most generous people on the face of the earth. And I'll say it every time I can think to say it. Not one time in my life have I ever regretted being generous. I've never regretted giving something to somebody and helping someone. I've regretted a lot of trips I've taken, a lot of meals I've eaten, a lot of things I've purchased, but I've never regretted being generous with someone. And I could spend all morning going through the scripture telling you how that you cannot outgive God. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. You do. Giving to God is not an investment strategy. If it is, you're giving to yourself, just keep it. You're all jacked up and messed up, right? You do not give to God to get more money. You never Listen, if a pastor ever tells you, listen, if you'll give us money, God will bless you fivefold. That's the time to get up while he's saying that and leave the church building. I'm serious. It is not an investment strategy. Who cares? I mean, the only reason you'd want God to give you fivefold is so you could give more back to him. But if you're thinking, wow, I could actually buy a bigger car and have a bigger house, then you've just... You're still focused on yourself. You're just like those scribes and Pharisees who are just focused on themselves. You're not like the widow who can give it all away. Remember when Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus, that, that 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 tax collector, the one who was who was a collaborator with the Romans and very rich. And after Jesus met with him and and he he repented of his sin and he turned his heart and his life to Christ and made Jesus his Lord, what was the first thing that tax collector did? He gave half of everything he had away. That was the starting point. And then he gave four times whatever he'd stolen from somebody. And you got the feeling, listen, you get the feeling Zacchaeus was never happier in his life. The Scripture is so clear. Jesus is so clear. Generosity is an outward symbol of your understanding of the gospel and of how much, two things, how much God has done and is doing for you, and secondly, how temporary this physical life is. James says your life is like a vapor, a fog. And that car and that 401k and that flat screen TV and those things that you think are so important now, a hundred years from now, But you're going to be eternity with the Lord. And everything you give to Him, everything, listen, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. Folks, every time you give to the church, every time you give to ministry, every time you give so the gospel can be expounded upon, that gift, that, think about this, that never goes away. And you think about this this vapor of a life in which we live. It is so short. It is so short. You ever just watch things on, I'm, I'm at the age now, I know i got to hurry. I'm at the age now where whenever I watch something on TV, like an old rerun of, of, of Andy Griffith, I go, well, he's dead, he's dead, she's dead, he's dead, she's dead, he's dead, she's dead. I think they just died. They're all dead. They are. Like, oh, Aunt B's dead. Gomer's dead. Floyd's dead. Andy's dead. Barney's dead. Don't want to bring y'all down on that, but they're gone. The reality of it is, 40 years from now, people are going to go, yeah, he's gone too. Clifton, yeah, he's gone. What happened to their houses? What happened to their cars? What happened to their stuff? I mean, you know, some of it goes to their kids. Some of it gets caught up in probate. Some of it's just gone. But, listen, when when I give... To the gospel, when I give to the church, when I give to the ministry, that's eternal. That's that's not temporal. That's forever. And it, it if I truly understand and get, I know I told you this story before, but it, it's so applicable. So I'll tell it to you again. <laughs> It was like Mother's Day. I was six years old. It was the first Mother's Day I wanted to buy my mother the gift on my own, and so I asked my dad for a few bucks or a dollar or something back. It was a long time ago. And up the street, literally four or five houses up the street from us was this little greenhouse. This guy had a little greenhouse in his backyard where he sold plants. And I remember walking up there on a Saturday before Mother's Day, having my little dollar or whatever, and I went in the greenhouse, and I was going to buy my mother a flower. And I remember I did, I bought her a, I bought her a, a little marigold that you would plant in the yard, but I didn't know that's what it was. I just thought it was a pretty flower. And so it was just a little, you know, they smelled terrible. It was just a little marigold. And so I brought it home, and I put it in the garage. And I was so excited for for uh, Mother's Day because my dad didn't know what I bought. My older sisters didn't know what I bought. Nobody knew what I bought. And I remember on Mother's Day morning going out in the garage and getting that little, that little potted little thing of marigold and bringing it in the house, and I just... I can remember the absolute joy of of just showing that to my mother and saying, look what I got. You know, my mother didn't need a miracle and the dollar didn't even come from me. It came from my dad and my mom didn't work. So basically they were none the richer, as the song says, you know, they gave me the money to give them something. So they, they were none the richer for my gift. But I was absolutely elated. Because I could give something to this person that I loved so much. Listen, the more you love Jesus, the more you'll be generous. I could just said the sermon in that phrase right there. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll be generous. The less you love Jesus, the less you'll be generous. Because the more you love Jesus, the more you'll love what he loves. And the more you'll have a totality of looking at this whole world and whole life and realizing what really does matter and what really doesn't matter. Take care of your family, certainly. Do good with your money, certainly. Be wise, certainly. Have a 401K so you're not a burden on your kids. I I get all of that, certainly. But don't make that your idol. Don't make that your God. Don't put all your trust in that and be generous, not based on what you can afford, but on what you sense God telling you to give. And if you will be faithful with what he tells you to give, he will be faithful in providing what you need. It's absolutely true. But the other part of that is, if you are not generous, even with your own Christian brothers and sisters as a starting place, if you're not generous with your local church, it's like Jesus saying, you, you weren't even generous with my brothers and sisters. You say you're my follower. You didn't even help your own brothers and sisters in Christ. What do you mean you're my follower? If you're not even generous with your local church, that's a starting place. And we talk about the tithe, the 10%. I realize for some of us that's, that seems really high. We haven't ever been doing it. Just start somewhere. And then the tithe is really just a beginning. After that comes the offerings and those kinds of things. And I've got to tell you something, folks. Listen to me carefully. I have never met anybody who was overly generous, who was grumpy who was a sourpuss, who didn't, want to, who didn't like people, who didn't, wasn't happy. Everybody I've ever known who's been generous has been some of the most happy people I've ever met. I've got to tell you this story, and I'll wrap up. And it's not my story, but it's a good story, and I've heard it several times from one of my mentors, Johnny Hunt. I had the privilege of traveling around with Johnny quite a bit, preaching with him. Over these years and and um, he's a pastor in Atlanta, and uh, Johnny's quite successful <laughs> and, and God's blessed him not only in the size of his church, about ten thousand people a weekend but in in many other ways too and he's one of the most generous men i've ever met in my life I've just generosity just i know I, I don't think he'd mind me telling you this, but there's a lot of times that preachers who are on vacation or whatever will come to Johnny's church because they want to hear him preach and everything. And, I, and Johnny just keeps, he, he's, he's keeps cash in his hands. And, and there'll it, be times that people will, those pastors will come up, and they're out there from small churches sometimes, and they'll say, You know, Johnny, Brother Johnny, we're so glad to be here today. It meant so much to us to come to hear you preach. And he'll say, Well, so glad you're here. And he'll take that hand, and he'll put some significant money in it. I'm not talking 10, 20 bucks, all right? And he'll shake that young pastor's hand, and he'll say, Go take do something nice for your family while you're here in Atlanta. He does that a lot, and I just, and I, all these, so I asked him one day about the generosity, of course, you know, he he has a lot to say about it. You can read about it online. He told me this story. I don't remember the man's name. I wish I did. I would, I would give it to you. I should have looked it up, but when Johnny was first starting out as a preacher, he, Johnny didn't even graduate from high school. He had a very difficult upbringing, and he had to get his GED, and and he was very poor in his first church, extremely poor in his first church, and dressed accordingly. <laughs> and he said there was, a, there was a couple in his church and, uh, that they really kind of adopted him and took him in, and, and uh, he said uh, most Sundays as I was leaving, he said uh, this, this man would shake my hand, and he said he would in that hand would be $20. $20. He said sometimes that was really the difference between us making it and, and not making it, and, he said he'd call me one day and he took me downtown and took me to a clothing store and bought me a couple of suits of clothes and bought me some shoes. And, and then when he needed to go to school, helped him through all of that. In other words, Johnny was a recipient of all this just generosity that nobody else in the church knew this man was doing for this young preacher boy. Well, God blessed Johnny's ministry in such an amazing way, and he's one of the most well-known speakers and preachers in North America today and one of the well-known writers and writers. As I said, Johnny now has this thing at his church. It's called the City of Refuge, where they, any pastor who goes, through, who goes through some major chaos in his life and needs a place to go, they can come and live there for free, and the church takes care of them. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars that that church spends on pastors who are in need. Uh, in addition, the way they feed the homeless. It's the most generous church I've ever seen. It's one of the most high per capita. It's, I think it is the most high per capita giving church in, in, of its size in, in all of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a very generous church in every possible way because their pastor is very generous. And he told me, he said, Mark, he said, this, this man that was so generous to me as a young man, he said, it just, it just made such an impact on my life. And he said, um, he said every time I'd see him, even, he said, even when I got to be, you know, a pastor of a large church and didn't really need it. Every time I would see him before I would leave, he would reach in his pocket, pull out his wallet, want to give me some money, and I'd say, no. He said, no, do something you want with it. He said, every time. He got a call that the man was dying in the hospital in another city a long way from Atlanta, and they didn't expect him to go visit him, but it had been decades, really, since he'd been his pastor, But the man meant so much to Johnny, he told me, he said, I I had to go. So he drove several hours, hoped he could get there before the man passed away, got into the hospital room, and he said he was pretty much comatose and unresponsive to a great degree, sort of in and out. You know how that is in the last few hours of life. He said, Johnny said, I got down in his face, and I looked at him, and I talked to him, prayed with him, and he said, he looked at me, and he he recognized who I was, and he shook his head, because he had all the tubes and everything. Johnny said, I'll never forget this. He said, as I shook his hand and prayed and got ready to leave, he he raised his hand a little bit, and he reached around as though he was trying to get to his wallet. This is what Johnny told me. He said, a man dies like he lives. He dies like he lives. One, to be generous one more time. looking for that wallet. You're going to die like you live? You're going to have a life of generosity? You're going to leave that legacy for your children and your grandchildren? Look, and we're not asking you to be generous because the church needs your money. I'm asking you to be generous because you need to be happy. And you need, you need to love Jesus more. And, 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 and it's, it's the most glorious thing. And it's a great testimony. A great, people don't understand generosity in our world today. And you can say great prayers, and you can wear right clothes, and you can sit in the best place in the church. But if you're ignoring widows, Jesus says, you don't know who I am. And you can be a church member and you can do all the right things, but if you don't care for the own, your own brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus says, I never knew who you were. Take it seriously. To fully understand the gospel is to know how much you've been given and what kind of person has been given so much and then remains stingy and only gives what they think they can afford. And she gave her all because God gave is. Heavenly Father, this has been a very lengthy and maybe, well, you'll take the sermon and use it for your glory. So I pray you will. And those who need to hear the certain parts of it will hear it. It will transform their lives. And even in my own life, help me to be more generous. Don't ever let me think my joy comes in the stuff I own, the stuff I hold, the stuff I acquire. Father, help me realize it's, it's, it's a conduit to give and to bless others. And let me love you more so that I love the stuff of this world less. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to our show so the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready whenever you are. And secondly, if Grace Family has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description and make a donation now. And we'll see you next time on the Grace Family Podcast.